All right, you're listening to another episode of What the Heck with Jono and Beck. That's me. <laughs> and I'm Jono, just in case you, <laughs> you didn't realise that. And I'm Beck. I, we, we hardly have to do this because I think our voices are quiet. I think often podcast hosts introduce themselves enough. to be like, oh, you know, we're two different people. Like even My Favourite Murder are always like, people still get Karen and Georgia confused. I don't think people are going to get us confused. Do they say their full names as well? Like do we need to refer to ourselves with our full names? <laughs> that's John O'Kickless. And that's Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> no, I still need my anonymity. Okay. Beep, beep my surname out. <laughs> yeah. We're just John O'Kickless. I don't think any other podcast um, beeps as much as this one. <laughs> Every episode, I'm like, beep that out, Sasha. Cut that, Sasha. <laughs> That's one of the running gags, I'd like to think. <coughs> Pardon me. How's, how's your week been, Jono? <laughs> <laughs> uh, pretty good. <laughs> had my bike stolen. <laughs> no, we talked about that last time. Oh, we did. Um, haven't had anything stolen since Nothing then. Nothing stolen since then? That's no. good. Um... I feel rude because I didn't ask you how your week was last week. So how's your week been this week? Oh, Jono, glad you asked. So much has happened in my life. Um, no, yeah, not, not a lot's been going on. <laughs> uh, it's nice that we're starting to have ease restrictions in Victoria. It is. I have found myself more tired since that's happened. Finding, so, oh, finding because you've been going out. Yeah, more. like going out and seeing people and stuff. I, f- I find it very tiring, it's even though it's good. Friends. So exhausting being so popular. Um, but like I'm making it work, I guess. I <laughs> uh, got tested for Corona on Friday. That was fun. Was way worse this time. Do you want to just? Tell I got. Us I've been tested it twice. Came back negative. It came back negative. <laughs> I don't have it. Uh, I wouldn't be here if I didn't know. Um, unless we wanted to get it. Unless you, yeah. The first time I did it, it was like the swab up the nose was Deep. painful. Like I was like, oh, that that's oh, uh, that's got me good, and I sort of wriggled around a bit and sneezed. Didn't like it. Felt like a baby. This time around, they had to take it out and be like, okay, you're right. We're going to try again because I was fully like. And crying. Uh, like your nostrils clenched up or something. Could not. It was really bad. Luke, on the other hand, Luke got tested at the same time as me, didn't flinch. Serene. Looked straight ahead, didn't even move a muscle. The guy literally said to Luke, you ready for this? It's made some grown men cry. We've got a lot of blokes crying from this one. And Luke was like, oh, okay, give it a go. Wimps. Literally didn't move. So um, that was really embarrassing. <laughs> uh, really shameful for me. But, um, yeah, that was probably the highlight of the week, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Until now, of course. Do you reckon it's like, it'd be so weird, like, being the person that gets it now? Because, you know, we've always yes. gone over the curve. So would you, like... That's what like... I was worried about. I was like, what if I get it now? Now that things are open and, th- you know, restrictions are eased and I'm allowed to see my friends who've got Sassy Sasha's birthday coming up, it would be very frustrating if after three months of a pandemic, they were like, oh, actually, you've got it now and you have to isolate for two weeks and miss all these things. Be You'd be f- like, I wish I got it months ago. You'd be a friendless loser again. I'd be a friendless loser again. But I mean, I did have a dream last night that I was a friendless loser. All my friends were like, this is an intervention. Um, but the intervention was just to tell me that they hated me. There was no, um, I didn't have a drug or alcohol problem. It was just everyone getting together to be like, we just need to let you know we hate you and we don't want to be your friends I like, anymore. I like how they went to all that effort to tell you that they didn't like you. <laughs> they went to so much Could effort. Just text a big <laughs> Could have just stopped seeing me. But no, they were like, we need, we need to formally let you know. Everybody hates you. Was there a formal letter as well? There was no formal letter. It was it was just like a, a get together, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, that was my week. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds that's very interesting. Mm. Um, yeah, I didn't. I mean, as I said, I didn't really have much this week, but I did find some fun articles that I want to share with you. Oh, please share. You'll be all over this one. 
Uh, it's from a website called Good News Network. And don't we just need some good news in the world oh, right now? Don't we? Uh, article title says, Dog breaks world record for most tennis balls held in mouth and social media users are thrilled. Oh. So it's a six-year-old pup called Finley. Finley. What kind uh, of dog is he? Is he a golden retriever? Golden retriever. Bet it. I bet he was. I knew he was. Oh, Finley. Oh. What a ledge. Oh. Uh, so what else is Luke's the Luke's family dog, there? Benson, is a golden retriever. And Luke was showing me a video t- this week because um, it's like Benson has ASMR. He likes when people do examinations on him. Like he, he likes, likes to he be. Likes a he, <laughs> he, he likes people like checking his ears and checking his gums and he'll hold very still and like look at you and and let you like look him over and they pretend to be a doctor they're like okay benson let's have a look what's going on okay yep teeth looking good ears looking good pretend that he's been getting adopted no going to a doctor (laughs) like you pretend that you're the vet Uh, and you give and you give benson like a a once over and he really likes it you don't wear like a full doctor's (laughs) no you have to get dressed up you just you just tell benson he's having an examination and he really likes it Strange dog. So, Philly, the golden retriever, broke the Guinness World Record for most tennis balls held in a dog's mouth at one time. According to his human companion, Aaron Malloy, Finley's been picking up tennis balls since he was two years old. And after Really? Home... I, would, I would hope that a dog was picking up tennis balls as soon as it was born. Dogs love tennis balls. It took Bert a few years to get, <laughs> get used to balls in his mouth. <laughs> Too easy. But also, Bert he has a can't, tiny mouth. He has a tiny mouth, and also he can't really like. It's hard. It's hard for him. He's got a tiny mouth, but not a tiny mouth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he eventually, so yeah, uh, he eventually worked his way to carrying up six balls in his mouth. So Finley's got thirty-six thousand followers on Instagram. Which well, is... I'm sure if I could fit six balls in my mouth, I'd have thirty-six <laughs> followers on Instagram. As well. <laughs> <laughs> Too easy. <laughs> I was about to say he's a, he's a few followers behind us. Just watch our followers skyrocket when we put that footage on there. Um, so that was a good one. I found another fun article that's very coronavirus related. Um, hopefully it doesn't relate to us that much. Strip club offers drive-through service. I think I saw this on the news. During US lockdown. <laughs> yeah. The owner of the business says the main service that we're providing with this food delivery uh, is food delivery with a little bit of fun. Oh my goodness. So a strip club in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. There's so many strip clubs in Portland. It's found another way to stay afloat. Is it like a a middleman town or something? Yeah. It's like a thing there. It's it's legal, but it's not legal anywhere else. They've got weird rules about it in America. Let me Google it. There's a reason for it. Must be a lot of like truck drivers stopping through or something. Maybe. It's not where uh, I... <laughs> I literally have typed Portland Strip and it says club food delivery. <laughs> the Lucky Devil Lounge transformed itself into Lucky Devil Eats, which has dancers deliver food and uh, deliver food and food to go-go. A drive-up service where takeout orders come in, come with an in-car experience that includes performances, music, lights, under canopies. So uh, they had to obviously close in March. So the business owner was like, um, he was like, okay, well, let's keep the kitchen open. I didn't even know there was kitchens in strip clubs. There's um, there's like a Saturday Night Live sketch of like, they're all, or maybe uh, it's from 30 Rock. And yeah, I was like, wait, they have food in strip clubs? 
Yeah. I, I mean, mean, I guess it makes sense. Like a lot of bars have got like bowls of chips and stuff. I mean, I've never been to a strip club. <laughs> but they have What's that laugh, Johnny? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I've never been served food in a strip club before. Okay, so I've Googled... <laughs> I mean, I, I've never been in one. <laughs> <laughs> the, covering Ble- yourself really well Ble- here, Johnny. all that flawless. Um, it says here that Portland has the... Um, the most in the US, second most in the US behind Houston. Really. So they've got like, Vegas is number one. they've got the most amount of strip clubs per capita or something. Uh, but then this says here that while some cities allow full nudity with full alcohol and some states do, Oregon is the only state with a state constitution that specifically protects obscenity under the First Amendment thanks to a legal battle in the 80s over an adult bookstore. So that means that they're the only US state unable to pass laws prohibiting bottomless dances in places that serve whis- like spirits, like whiskey and gin. So any bar in Portland can technically have a topless waitress and it's okay? Well, it sounds like maybe if you were in a strip club that serves booze, you can't have full nudity and booze. So you can either have like partial nudity and booze, but Portland, it's like they can get fully naked and you can drink spirits. <laughs> I could be wrong. And we discussed on our Bigfoot episode our want and need to go to Portland <laughs> well, to find a Sasquatch. So when we're there. Could be a double trip. Hey, I mean, this is this this article is really very comprehensive. It's going through like why they have the best strip clubs in Portland and they are selling it well. I mean, I suppose it is an art form and sex work is real work. So uh, it's a thriving industry in Portland. But um, where did you say this, this, this place that's serving food is? Is Portland? Yeah. It's called oh, the Lucky, them. Lucky Devil Lounge. The Lucky Devil Lounge. That sounds like a strip club. The thing that probably upsets me the most is that the US government aren't giving coronavirus relief to adult businesses. Really? Mm. But um, Like the American government or the Australian government? American. They're barely giving relief to anybody, so <laughs> yeah. you're not going to get your $1,200 <laughs> one, one-off check. <laughs> so, oh, no. They'll be at the bottom of the uh, priority list, I reckon. Uh, so, yeah, the drivers entertain customers as they drive slowly through the lounge disco lit car park before wow. getting their food to go. Goodness me. I wonder if the food's any good. I, I don't think you're going for the food. Oh, unless they got like awesome chicken wings or something. Yeah, maybe. I feel like that's what you'd have at a strip club. I imagine it would be finger food. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, time to move on. So Beck, you're you're given you're giving us the goss today on something. I'm giving it to ya. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're gonna move on from strip stripping uh, in in your endos. <laughs> in your endos. <laughs> uh, what what are we chatting about today, Beck? Well, we are going to talk a bit today about bad books. So bad literature, books that you go, this is really bad. <laughs> Like Can you tell I'm a writer, a, very articulate when it comes to talking about been books. Been written by a 12-year-old. Pretty much. I mean, I'm not known, I don't, I mean, I have written book reviews for places including The Age, but I was, I was about to say, I'm not, known, I'm not known for my good book reviews and 
Um, I don't want to say that because then maybe people will stop paying me for my book reviews. But more often than not, I am posting on Instagram saying, I didn't like this book. It was garbage. And if you like this book, it makes you a bad person too. So, um, you know, take this whole episode with a grain of salt. But I will say what I've tried to do is I Googled like worst books of all time and kind of work back from there because it's it's a tricky concept because art is subjective, yeah, obviously. Course. So it's hard to be like, what what is a good book or what is a bad book? And also some of them seem like shoot, it's like shooting fish in a barrel with like some self-published books. It's kind of like, well, you know. And you could argue that like a Fifty Shades of Grey, which most people would classify as like a crap book, but it's made a lot of money, obviously. Yeah. So, you know. Exactly. Is it, is it actually a bad book? Or? Exactly. And so I kind of tried to stay away from books like Fifty Shades of Grey or Twilight because I feel like everyone's talked about them a lot. Because we'll talk about Twilight on the Twilight episode. <laughs> exactly. When we're going to do a six-part six part, uh, series on fiction. Twilight. Twilight, yep. Um, I tried to stay away from like easy targets. I didn't want to like make fun of someone, you know, because it's like, lol, they wrote it. Like, for example, like, when I was Googling it, you don't have a the, personal vendetta against someone. <laughs> I'm just listing every person in Australia who I don't like who's written a book and be like, this book is so bad. Um, cancel. <laughs> cancel. Just cancelling everybody. Although even that is like a tricky sort of element of like criticism is like most people who write book reviews in Australia are like other writers or at least friends of writers. Ooh. So it's like when someone's like, this book marks the entrance of a exciting new voice in the Australian literary scene. Like if I ever write a book... And one of my friends doesn't write that as my cover quote, I'm going to kill them. But then also uh, they have to say that because they're my friends. So how do you know the book is any good? And you're not but then I would kill anybody. If one of my friends wrote a book and it was really bad, I would get online and be like, I've got to say it. This book is absolute dog shit. Let's throw it in the bin. You would do it, but under an anonymous name. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of, well, the Saturday paper used to run their book reviews under an anonymous oh. thing, which I don't like either because it's like, well, if you're going to say it's bad. Say it to the face. Say it to my face. If I write a book and it's really bad, I want everybody to say it to my face. Come up to me and be like, this book is terrible and you should think, be... I don't everyone, think you actually would like that. Everyone should do like what my dream was like, an actual intervention where they all get together and they say, we need to tell you your book is very bad. I, so, you wouldn't take that very well. I don't think I would either, which is why I don't want this episode to be like that either. Uh, to be clear, if any of my writer friends are listening to this podcast, none of you, I love all your books. None of you have written a book yet that has made me feel this way. All of you have written good books, luckily. Um... Let this be a warning to you all. Don't write a bad book. Can I just preface this episode and say I'm not a massive reader. Mm -hmm. I don't finish books mm -hmm. a lot. What was the last book you finished? Ready Player One. How was it? I actually really enjoyed it. Did you? And then I saw the movie and it was the biggest piece of dog shit I've ever seen. <laughs> I've heard it's really, really bad. So I think Luke watched it and he was like, this is not good. We almost left the cinema and I never really Damn. want to leave a cinema. Damn. So I was upset and that probably put me off reading books. <laughs> <laughs> forever I, do read, I, I read a I do book read. that I liked and someone made a bad movie of it and therefore I will never read a book again I do read uh, sports biographies a lot as well oh that's true you do you do seem to be quite knowledgeable about the lives of many great sportsmen and I think that's the thing everybody this is why it's hard to do a list like an episode that's like these books are bad because everybody likes different stuff and everybody gets different things out of books so it's hard to do it so like for example in the Wikipedia list for uh, worst books of all time. One of the first books it mentions is like, so I'm not going to do a lot of these books. There's a whole lot of books from like the 19th and 18th century and stuff. I'm not going to cover them because I think, I think that's different. It's a different time. Separate episode as well. This is a separate episode. Um, and yeah, like one of them was like, oh, this really bad book was a Portuguese <laughs> to English phrase book written by a man who didn't speak English. 
and instead he relied on a Portuguese French phrase book and then a French English dictionary. So he kind of like translated. Like triple Google translating Yeah, something. pretty much. And I'm like, well, I don't necessarily think that's a bad book. I think that's a person trying their best with what they had a long time ago. So I'm Gave not, it a go. He gave it a go. And he's trying to like help other people learn his language. So I'm not going to be like, lol, this idiot couldn't even speak English. <laughs> that makes it a bad book. So cancelling Wikipedia for that one. Oof. Uh, and also, yeah, the rest of the books on the 19th century list, I just, it was whatever. I wasn't going to go into You're it. You're going to talk about books that we've heard of. Well, you, wow. I don't think you will have heard of these uh, books. What are you trying to say? <laughs> um, but it's plausible you could have heard of them and you could go out and probably read them if you wanted. So but that was these the, are the bad books, so why would I want to read them? Maybe, maybe for fun. We'll get into it. So, um, like I said, leaving out the obvious ones, Twilight, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Del Toro Quest. Um, <laughs> hey, Del Toro Quest is sick. Um, on a lot of the lists that I was doing research, Mein Kampf was on there and I oh. was like, obviously... <laughs> I don't think we need to be like, the worst book of all time was Mein Kampf. It's like, it's, yep. Sorry, okay, not, it goes without saying. Is it actually a bad book in terms of literature or just the content of it is obviously awful? Like, I don't know. I haven't looked into it too much because I have not, I, I don't have a lot of, urged I don't want to be like, book. I don't want to be like, look, um, Hitler's book, he's got a lot of bad ideas, but boy, does he get them across well. I was just, <laughs> because I know, think that was kind of probably what started World War II. <laughs> but you know, my thought there he's is He's got like, bad ideas, but boy, can the boy speak. <laughs> Yeah, like is it he actually gets the people going? Is it actually bad literature or is it just like the worst uh, thoughts put to paper? Um, well, I mean, if it's the worst put thoughts put to paper, does that make it bad literature? I don't know, but it might be wording it a certain way. We're getting into a conversation <laughs> that I can't even. Anyway, that's but that's what I mean about writing a list of bad books. It's all objective. What are the criteria exactly? So, I mean, I don't think it's objective <laughs> that my calf is a bad book. Uh, across the board, Mein Kampf, worst book of all time. I think we can agree is my point. Just, just to clarify, I'm not a Nazi <laughs> Do, do not like Mein Kampf. We are very staunchly on Mein Kampf on this podcast. But that was my point. I'm not going to hmm. do a whole segment on how Hitler's book is bad. We can all agree on that. Um, there was another book called Dildo K that was written in 1939. Dildo, what K? Dildos are a type of cactus. So I think it's meant to be like okay. about an area that's full of dildo cactuses. Um, <laughs> that sounds fascinating. It was also apparently just like racist, misogynist tripe, uh, like just very bad. So like, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to do it uh, because I would probably, we need to do a much deeper episode. You have episode. to say dildo a lot as well. And I'd have to say dildo all the time. Um, and also I didn't want to do books that I personally didn't like because yeah, like I said, stupid. Um, and to, to finish my intro, I would say there's a, there's a Heidi Montag tweet, Heidi from the Hills <laughs> once tweeted, congrats to anybody who has ever written a book. And I stand by that statement. So apologies in advance to all these authors. Congrats to anybody who has ever written a book. Okay. So the first book that I want to get into, I don't think you would necessarily have heard of it, but you might've. But you probably have heard of the author, although maybe you wouldn't have. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Let's just assume I've heard of nothing okay. and no one. <laughs> okay. Well, this book is called The Lair of the White Worm by Bram Stoker. I've heard of Bram Stoker. Yes, Dracula. Dracula. Yes. So it came out in 1911. Yeah. And it was a horror novel. Great year, um, 1911. <laughs> awesome, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a horror novel that revolved around a remote area of England that was being haunted by a gigantic worm. Amazing. Is this not uh, something that we're going to cover off in? That's <laughs> <laughs> the rest of our cryptozoology crypto series <laughs> is the, the giant white worm. Um, well, it was, it was um, 
I haven't, to be honest, this one is probably going to be the quickest one to cover off because <laughs> it's it, pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, it was a book about a giant worm. Although when I looked into it more and I looked at some of the illustrations that were in the book, it seems like maybe the giant worm was meant to be like a kind of dragon-like lizard creature. Is it a kid's book? No, it's a horror book. <laughs> so it was badly received by historians of the horror genre. HP worm loved, lovers hated it. The, the the worm lovers didn't even like it. Um, H.P. Lovecraft, in his essay Supernatural Horror in Literature, um, stated that Bram Stoker utterly ruins a magnificent, a magnificent idea by a development almost infantile. So the book was okay for like half of it and then when he revealed that it was a worm, they are all like, oh, this is dog Well, shit. no, it seems like they were into the idea of a worm. Ah. So for me, this is what made me laugh is I was like, lol, a story about a giant worm, but all the reading I did on it seemed to be like, yes, we are totally on board with the giant worm idea, but he just did a bad job of it. Okay. <laughs> Which didn't, to me was funny. I was didn't like, make the worm enough of a threat. <laughs> yeah, they were like, the worm we're fine with. It's everything else. So um, another writer criticised the clumsy style of the novel um, and he was really disappointed because he was like, I can't believe the person who wrote Dracula could write this garbage. Uh, not everyone's going to have a hit, are they? Exactly. We can't, they can't all be hits. They can't all be hits. The, sound, the title of that book sounds like a, a shitty D-grade like movie, like a Sharknado-esque. Exactly. <laughs> just pops up on the TV and you're like, what the hell is this? But you watch it anyway because yeah. you're like, oh, this could be fun. I watched a TV show. And it's got Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, 100% something I would watch late at night. Um, the horror critic uh, R.S. Haji placed The Lair of the White Worm at number 12 in his list of worst horror novels ever written. Oh, wow. What and could be worse? <laughs> Brian Stableford said that it was one of the most spectacularly incoherent novels to ever <laughs> reach print. That is a burn. Right? Isn't that... Ooh. Very incoherent. That's just, that's a burn in itself. Abs if someone says absolutely incoherent, you're yeah. like, oh damn. <laughs> but um, I I I said I wanted to read this. I was like, okay, well, if it's so incoherent, um, but then also I ran out of time to read the whole book, obviously. So <laughs> were you going to read every book you were talking about today? <laughs> no, I wasn't. But I was like, I want to try and read some pages. An excerpt, at least. and I couldn't find a lot of excerpts of the White Worm, um, and I couldn't even really find that many quotes. So. I went on the Goodreads page and tried to find some quotes. And literally the two quotes that stood out to me were, Adam went quietly on with his breakfast. Killing a few snakes in a morning was no new experience to him. And Adam nodded. <laughs> That's just Adam nodded. That was a full quote on the page. <laughs> Notable quotes from the book. Adam what did nodded. What did he nod at? I'm like, oh, give me some context here, Goodreads. That's all I got. Did you look at any reviews on Goodreads? Um, entertaining. I didn't. Because I think it's it's quite old, and at this point, all I really had was reviews. I, I I was, I was going in search of some content, and I couldn't find it. I know you said it was objective. Obviously, everything's objective before, but I, I also I always find it interesting going on to like a Goodreads, and how, just like how different some people's thoughts on a book mm. are. So like someone gives it a five star. It's the same with movies, obviously, and all that kind of stuff. But they're like, ah, oh, amazing book. Character depth was awesome, and then. <laughs> You know, someone gives it like one or no stars and like, this is an absolute piece of shit. Yeah. Why did I read this? Exactly. It's so hard to know, which is why it's like, could you, can you really trust any of these lists? And also sometimes critics hate a book, but the public love it. So, mm. I mean, people hate, critics hated Fifty Shades Grey and it was a bajillion dollar, notably, huge fan. Didn't Last read book all. you read before uh, Ready Player One. Is that the book you said you read? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, so I've, I had a, bit of a moment early ISO where I walked past Dimmicks and they had a sale and I bought the book Sapiens 
mm-hmm. and the follow-up book to Sapiens as well, which I completely forget its name right now, but I'm sure people might know. And you were like, I'm feeling ambitious. Homo Sapiens. I'm going to be able to read this. Well, I'd heard, I'd listened to a podcast or something and they're like, oh, this amazing book Sapiens, but it's like very, uh, like the writing and it is like, it's a book for smart people. Mm. Um, and I don't. And you're a notable idiot. <laughs> and I'm a doofus. <laughs> Uh, so I started reading it and I reckon I'm about 20 pages in and ha- half of the time I'm like, I kind of know what's going on and half the time I'm like, this is like next level. This is not sinking in. And I haven't picked it up in over a month and a half. So mm. that's where I'm currently at with my reading. Sounds fair. I think that sounds about as far as I'd get with that book as well. But I want to read it on the tram to work so people think I'm smart. smart. I think uh, once I wrote a book list for Frankie that was literally called Books to Make You Look Smart on the Train and I'm pretty (laughs) sure that book was on the list. 100%. (laughs) So, you know, you've got the right idea. I'm getting like excerpts out of it. You're getting getting ideas. You're getting the vibe. I'm getting like little bits that I could like go to a party and be like, oh, did you know? There you go. That's what reading's for. That's all it's for. someone will probably correct me. Yeah. We read to make ourselves ourselves smarter to other people. Sound smarter to other people. <laughs> yeah, that's all I that's read. That's why I read comic books. Yeah, 100%. Um, so before we go on a break, I'll quickly cover, because that one was pretty quick. I will cover the next two books on my list really are kind of uh, both sci-fi books. So maybe, maybe we will take a break and I'll cover them as one lot. All right, so... Another one that featured heavily on the list was a book called uh, Moon People. Moon People. Moon People. Okay. I I sort of stumbled through that. Um, (laughs) Big words. (laughs) It's a... It's a self-published book. I already know it's a winner. Well, it was was, uh, published from a company called Ex Libris. But if you Google Ex Libris, uh, the fourth suggestion is Ex Libris Scam. So not really a good sign Um, and a lot of people have a lot of bad things to say about them online. Kind of seems like a vanity press, which is like they'll put your book out for you, but they don't really do anything. They kind of just like package it up and distribute it. They don't edit it or market it. I was about to say, for the dummies out there, self-publishing is... Well, like a lot of people have had good luck, not good luck, they've had success with self-publishing. Like you, you do it all yourself. So you put it out yourself and you're so not you working with a publisher. It all you, yeah, you would finance it yourself and you would distribute it yourself um, and you would market it yourself. But if you were working with... Um, Sorry, does that mean you'd have a publisher wouldn't read through it either and like correct no. it and all that kind of stuff? Exactly. So if you were going to get your book published through like a regular publishing company, you would work with an editor who goes yeah. through your entire they thing and they you. well not just proof it, but like they make really big suggest they can make big suggestions to um, your book in a lot of really good like a good editor is vitally important for any piece of writing work, especially a book. And if you publish it yourself, you might not have had that. I mean, some some people who self-publish might have paid for an editor to come and do their work yeah. for them, um, do that editing for them. Can't speak to every single person who self-publishes. And I certainly wouldn't want to diss everybody who has ever publi- self-published this a book. No it is. It does get a bad rap, but also probably because there is a lot of moon peoples. For every good <laughs> self-published book, there are probably 5,000 moon peoples. Okay. That's a lot of books being published out of shit. Uh, yeah, look. So um, this is how chapter one of Moon People opens. So okay. it's written by Dale M. Courtney. And obviously, uh, an author, fam- author yeah. has to have an initial. Of course, of course. I find a lot of self-published authors have got their initial, an initial in their name. It's a prereq. This story begins on a beautiful, beautiful is capitalized with a B, sunny day in Daytona Beach, Florida, no full stop, with a man capital W, with a man by the name of David Bramer, full stop, 
a 45 year old single man. Actually, you know what? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna point out every time there is a capital letter where it shouldn't be. Let's just think it's at the start of. It is riddled every with word. capital letters where there shouldn't be capital letters. We'll post it on the Insta. We will. A 45-year-old single man that works at the local high school as a science teacher and astrology in the 12th grade level. Now, he's been here about five years and has become a kind of partial to a young lady by the name of Cheryl Baskell, which sounds a lot like... Carol Baskin. Yes. Um, a local restaurant owner in Daytona Beach. At the moment, Cheryl's preparing her restaurant for another shuttle launch at the Cape and everyone... Always gathers at her place because you can see the launch real good at her place. It's also on the water and it's real close to the Cape and she really decks the place out. Wow. So, you know. That's elite level writing. It's pretty, yeah. It could have used with an edit. <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, imagine reading that in the whole book. Like, I'd, I, It would be not tough. Not that I would finish it. Um, it's, so the story is described as a galactic adventure story with a romance thread to boot. Is the galactic part that she's near Cape Canaveral? Well, it follows David, who uh, it, this is this is the, the 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 review I read says it follows David Bramer, who goes from school teacher to outer space hero in brackets. Don't ask how the transition happens. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> While stationed on Lunar Base Three, where he finds himself in the middle of of an eons old war between the benign extraterrestrial Paulines. And their evil enemies, the Archons. Oh my gosh! Uh, so that's he, he starts the book with a letter to his readers, and that's how he describes the book in the letter to the readers. The um, so that was the description from the author. Yeah, and he, he he thanks the reader for their time, and he says, "May God bless your life." So <laughs> it sounds like this is a very earnest person who really wanted to write a book that people enjoyed. So I don't want to diss him. He was really into sci-fi, and he thought I could contribute I could do this. here. Yeah. Um, he... Do we think he was a simple man? Um, I don't know. I think that maybe he was a bored man. And I, again, congrats (laughs) congrats to anyone who's written a book. I would like to write a book and I haven't done it. And this guy probably in his spare time was like, I'm going to write a book. And he did. And, you know, good on him. How many pages classify as like a good book? Book. Well, I don't know. I think that's another thing. A lot of publishers, you've got to have like, you don't have to have a minimum amount of words. It's but 50 pages or something at least. I think it's something like 30,000 words is usually the min. So I don't know how many pages What's that is. What's the word to page conversion? That's I how know. I work in my life. <laughs> word to page conversion. <laughs> if someone says 30,000 uh, words, you go, oh yeah, so about 200 pages. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. <laughs> yeah. It's applicable. It makes sense. Um, so in this letter that he prefaces the book with, he describes parts of the book with Great detail, um, but also huge gaps that make it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, Can't wait go- for this to be made into a TV series. <laughs> he goes into um, a lot of detail about the lunar bases that they're on in the book. So um, he says that this is a quote from him: that they are two miles long and one mile in diameter. They have one very big surprise: all three ships split into three independent working sections. In addition, all three sections have lasers and rockets and their own engine. They also have shields that are liquid that turn into a solid mass as hard as four inches of steel. When exposed to the cold of space, full stop. I assume that means... All of that happens. If it's exposed, yeah. Does this sound like three ships met into one, though? And they also have a couple of lounges where everyone goes for fun. (laughs) So it's like a cruise in space. Um, He sounds... It sounds to me like maybe it's just like a very bored... 
person who wanted to write a nice book. Sounds like a story that a kid would like start and doesn't really know where it finishes. I would love to know how old this person is. <laughs> um, Seven. Yeah. I, it doesn't. It doesn't have... This article that I read on Huffington Post doesn't have a lot of info about him or at least from my skim reading. Um, <laughs> that didn't feel it was worthwhile doing a deep dive. Mm, well, yeah. The next book I'm going to look at I do, it is, it is like you think maybe it's written by a child and then you find out it was written by a 16 year old. So you're like, well, oh. can we really blame him? Okay. Um, but I'll finish talking about moon people, um, by reading an excerpt, um, which is the first page of chapter nine. This which, is where you put spooky moon, moon music in the background. <laughs> yeah. Stuff. Well, it's just called. Do, I'll just do a soft light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's The shuttle launch. And they were both secretly thinking about what they have been missing in their lives. <coughs> <laughs> then David asked Cheryl, would you like to come to my place and spend the night? Cheryl gave David a funny but sexy look. And before David could say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Cheryl said, you know, I must be crazy, but I believe I do. And then smiled. David couldn't believe she said yes, and he got the biggest smile on his face and he kissed her one more time and said, this is turning out to be the best night I've had in a very long time. And Cheryl said, me too, and they left the beach and went to David's house and they made passionate love for a very long time. The next morning when they woke up, they woke up a very long time. Three minutes in heaven. The next morning when they woke up, they woke up staring at each other with a big smile on each other's faces. And Cheryl said... I had the best time last night and I know you're going to leave me. Oh. <laughs> That's what makes you feel bad for this guy. And David said, I know, before all I was going to just miss was my students and know I'm going to miss being with you. And I haven't been with someone like you in a very long time and I had so much fun with you last night and making love to you was so beautiful, I will remember it always. Cheryl gave another sexy look. And that's the end of page one of chapter nine, oh. Moon People. How do you how do you top that? How do you top that? Well, I'm going to try and top it with the Eye of Argon, which is another science fiction oh, fantasy. I you were say it's like a Lord of the Rings spin-off, like a, well, a shitty Lord of the Rings spin-off. I mean, look, the Eye, Argon, Aragon. It's a few copyright infringements. Yeah, here, I think I think maybe, and I think that would make sense because it is. It did kind of start out as like fan fiction. Yeah. Okay. So, um, notably, Twilight was also fan fiction. Started out as fan oh. fiction, or was it Fifty Shades of Grey that was fan fiction? No, Twilight was. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Sassy Sasha. Um, so, what was Twilight fan fiction of? It was Harry Potter. Yeah. Ah. Okay. Yeah. That's a bit whack. Mm. It's, <laughs> we're not a completely she's an different adult woman. You know, there's something a bit weird about an adult woman reading children's books and then making erotic fan fiction out of it. I mean, I know a lot of Harry Potter fans love to make erotic fan fiction out of Harry Potter, but I don't know, a middle-aged woman. Fan fiction is like the deep, dark part of the internet, I reckon. I have read some <laughs> One Direction fan fiction that <laughs> took me to some really dark places. <laughs> Just, oof. Yeah. 
No, I, I occasionally read fan fiction about wrestling. I bet you do. Which is strange in itself because <laughs> a lot of it is just like ends up turning like the male wrestlers having relationships yes. with male wrestlers. I find <laughs> most fan fiction becomes uh, about the two characters becoming sexually involved. Yeah. That seems to be... Oh, so I can imagine what the 1D one is then. The 1D one was always that like... Harry and... Yeah. There was one very, very beautifully written one that made a very compelling case for Harry and Zane being together. <laughs> um, yeah, it's... Did you write it? <laughs> <laughs> I confess. It was me. My book is on this list. Um, but back to the Eye of Argon. So Because uh, you're getting too hot and sweaty. <laughs> I'm too excited. Um, it was a heroic fantasy novella um, and it became a bit of a party game, which I think this is cruel, but I mean, who amongst us is not cruel? Um, it became a party game where people would, would try and read chapters aloud without laughing. So they'd get together and be like, <laughs> bit of a drinking game, um, which I think is mean because it was written in 1970 by Jim Thies when he was 16. So, like, he was a teenager writing fan fiction and then it got anonymously circulated in, like, the science fiction fandoms and it got into the hands of two actual writers and they were like, lol, this is so bad and they sort of made it into a thing where they were circulating it as really bad and they played this party game. Oh, bullies. Well, yeah, and I'm like, so this teenager wrote some bad fan fiction and it turned into a joke. Although, what was that video of the girl reading the um is it the fan the, the fan fiction she wrote about James Franco or just called talent show? Uh yeah, I think yeah. Is it James Franco? I think it's James Franco. That is wild. And I remember laughing about that extensively as a teen and young adult. So it's pretty hard not to laugh at fan fiction. Sorry to all of our fan fiction. Sorry to all of our fan fiction friends, but ooh um fan fiction friends? Yeah. <laughs> fan fiction fans? Triple F. Fan fiction heckheads. Ooh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Sorry, this this uh, Eye of Argon thing, is it fan fiction of Lord of the Rings? Or? It is not. I don't I, I don't think it's fan fiction of Lord of the Rings. I think it was just like someone was like, like in the science fiction community, was like, here's my story. Like he just wrote a story about something. Okay. So um, it's described as one of the genre's most beloved pieces of appalling prose and the worst fantasy novel ever. Appalling. That's another word. Um, Appallingly incoherent. Appallingly incoherent. That's what everyone's going to, that's going to be the reviews of my book. The cover of my book. The reviews of this show. (laughs) (laughs) Appallingly incoherent. Ooh, new tagline. (laughs) What the heck? We're trying to back. Okay. I'm going to read you. Some of the ch- chapter synopsises to give you an idea of like. Do I need to prep myself? <laughs> Try not to laugh. Um. Well, I don't know. We'll see how we go. So, um, it follows the adventures of Grigna, a barbarian, and the basic plot summary is: the story starts chapter one with a sword fight in the Empire of Norgolia. Um, between the accordion barbarian Grignar and some mercenaries who are chasing him. Um, and Grignar is on his way to Gorzum in search of wenches and plunder. Wenches. Wenches, right. yeah. So he arrives in Gorzum. Plunder is just treasure, isn't it? Right, I think so. To plunder is is to like... Sounds like a dirty word. It does. <laughs> Wish someone would plunder my treasure. <laughs> I'm going to go plunder Gregoria. Apologies to my mum who listens to this for all the blue humour over the last few episodes. Every episode's like, mm, lucky to plunder my treasure. Um, sorry, mum. 
Uh, Grignar arrives in Gorzum, goes to a tavern where he picks up a local wench. Uh, you know, their choice of words, not mine. Um, a drunken guard challenges him over the woman. He kills the guard, but then he's arrested and brought before the local prince. Uh, and the prince condemns him to a life of forced labour in the mines. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, but it doesn't matter for Gringar because he kills the prince's advisor, Agafand, and he's about to kill the prince, but then he's knocked unconscious. Um, and this chapter contains the first of several occasions where the word slut is applied to a man, presumably as an insult. So, <laughs> He's a man slut. We don't believe in slut shaming on this podcast. Um, but I mean, this book was written in 1970 by a 16-year-old. So I imagine the word slut is used liberally. Mm. Chapter three, Gringar wakes up in a cell. Chapter three and a half says that there is a pagan ritual involved. Um, a bunch of young women are sacrificed. There's a grotesque jade idol with one eye, which I <laughs> only imagine what that is. Chapter four, losing track of time. Gringar is bored and still in his cell. A large so rat attacks him. him in a cell. Uh, so far, it sounds like there's three chapters of him in the cell. But in chapter four, a large rat attacks him and he decapitates the rat. Um, and that inspires him to, to make a plan. In a jail cell? I, I guess he just tears its head off. He is a barbarian. Hmm. Um, I think I'm finding some plot holes in this. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a strong plot. Um, he dismembers the, the rat. And then chapter five, the pagan ritual goes ahead. Um, the young woman won't go up on the altar and she vomits on the priest who's <laughs> trying to grope her, which, hell yeah, sister. Um, and then Been she, there, done that. she kicks him in the nuts. But then the other shamans grab her and it says him, him in the plunder. In the plunder. Chapter six, Gringar is taken from his cell. So he's been in the cell for chapter three, three and a half, four and five, but now he's out. And he takes the rat pelvis that he has fashioned into a dagger and slits the soldier's throat with it. And then he, and then he strangles the second soldier, he takes his clothes and he wanders around the catacombs um, and he, he avoids booby traps. And then he, and then he finds um, the palace mausoleum and he opens a, a, a sarcophagus and he can hear screaming coming from the sarcophagus. And he opens it and finds a trapdoor. And below that trapdoor is this pagan ritual that's taking place. And took seven chapters to get only, to the pagan ritual. Yeah, we're, we're finally there. And he, and he sees the shaman about to sacrifice a young woman. And he, and he jumps down. He plows into the group of shamans with the axe. And he takes the eye. Um, and the young woman turns about, out to be the same wench from the tavern. Oh. So it's a throwback. Plot twist. <laughs> Plot twist. So then he leaves with that. then he leaves with the wench, and then it says one priest who had been suffering an epileptic seizure during this whole scene, he recovers, he stops his seizure, and he's like, oh no, uh, and it says he draws a scimitar and follows Gringa and Carthina through the trapdoor. What's a scimitar? Is that like that? Is it like a scythe? A what? A scimitar. He draws a scimitar. I'm guessing it's some kind of a weapon or something, or a s- symbol. Oh, why won't my? Oh, hold on. Let it's me also Google a bunch it. of made-up words in this thing. So it is a sci-fi fantasy novel. So a scimitar is a very big sword with a curved blade. Okay. So he's running after the running after Gringar with his giant sword. Chapter seven and a half. Why are there half chapters? There's half chapters. Just isn't accept that, it. That... <laughs> Not common practice in a book, yeah, I don't okay. think. Um, the priest strikes at Gringar. But, but Gringar's set up another booby trap. Oh. So the priest is killed by the booby trap. Where did he have time to do that? 
um, when he was wandering around the catacombs, I guess. Um, Carthena tells Gringar about, all about the prince, Agafim. Who's Carthena? Carthena is the tavern wench. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So um, they, they find the prince and they kill him. And Agafand, the, the advisor, um, who apparently has come alive again somehow, because remember Gringar killed him back at his trial, but Agafand's back again. Um, and then they emerge into the sunlight and Gringar pulls out the Eye of Argon, which I'm assuming is that jade. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Um, but then, but then in the sunshine, the eye of Argon melts into a blob with like a leech-like mouth mm. and the blob attacks Gringar and starts sucking his blood and Carthena faints and Gringar is beginning to lose consciousness and he grabs a torch and thrusts it into the blob's mouth and then it, 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 it ends there. So it was, it was, it was, it was a photocopied version um, and, and anything since page 49 of the fanzine had been lost. Oh, so people are making up their own fan fiction of the fan fiction? Well, the ending was rediscovered in 2004. <laughs> By him. Mm, but, yeah, the authenticity of this lost ending is uh, very disputed. But basically the lost ending, or the remainder of chapter seven and a half, is that the blob explodes into a thousand pieces, leaving nothing but a dark red blotch upon the face of the earth, blotching things up. Um, is this whole story based on a true story? It is, yeah. yeah okay. It is, actually. Um, and then, of course, Gringar and the still unconscious Carthena right off into the distance. So, look, we don't know if that's how it was supposed to end. <laughs> Bravo. Yeah. Spielberg, where are you, mate? Absolutely. But, yeah, like I said, it gets often read at a, as a party game, but it's also been read aloud at... Um, Oricon and Loscon, which are like science fiction conventions. As a joke. Um, yeah. So, look, I really hope that the author is um, okay. <laughs> he, He's been mocked on an international yeah. level now because this is an international podcast. Well, he said in an interview with um, him in 1984, um, he stated that he was hurt that his story was being mocked and he said he would never write anything again. And then in a later interview, he complained that he was being mocked about something he'd written when he was only 16. But then he did participate in other readings at other conferences. Um, so He's probably it, loving a bit of the fanfare about it. Yeah, but then also, you know, I feel bad for him. Like I think if you write it at 16, though, you can probably, like, over time, you'll just be like, haha, yeah, that was funny. I did something silly when I was 16. Exactly. Like, if you're not now a famous writer who's trying to pursue it seriously and everyone's still making fun of you, you yeah. can be like, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah. But um, it says he died in 2002, so what? Godspeed. Uh... Um, yeah, so that is uh, Moon People and the Eye of Argon, two basically self-published sci-fi books. <laughs> Um, that are widely regarded on the internet as being very bad. So we'll take a break and then we'll come back to our last book, which is um, not self-published. Don't think you would have heard of it. Um, and it's a romance novel. Ooh. And oh boy, are romance novels ripe with bad, bad prose. Bad grammar. The author of this book is called Laura Lee and it seems like Laura Lee has quite the romance writing career. Um, a lot of people online seem to think she churns out like a book every other month, which is wild, but also means that a lot of her stories are quite repetitive. It's the same old, same old, um, you know, romance writing is kind of suffers a little bit from people criticizing it for being 
you know, corny or whatever, which isn't really fair. There is a lot of good romance writing out there. It is a genre that is very beloved. Yeah, that is. is, is it L-O-R-A? Yeah. Yeah, that's Laura. Um, and so it seems like she's quite successful. It seems like she's represented by Pan McMillan. But it does also seem like a lot of her books are very much, yes, like that. They look like they are self-published. The covers are so bad. Um, you know, download the Amazon book from like, you know, Amazon d- digital books or whatever. It does, they do not seem. So she's a number one New York Times bestselling author. Yeah, she's made it onto bestseller lists. So it's very unusual that one of her books has made it onto the worst books of all time list on Wikipedia and a couple of other re- lists that I read online. Um, so her book Midnight Sins, which is just like, ah, perfect name for a romance novel, made it onto pretty much every list I read. But notably, it seems like it's part of a bigger series and the other books in the series are okay. It's probably one of some of these. Yeah, look at them. Oh, they all look We've incredible. Got Tempting the Beast, mm. The Man Within. <laughs> Uh, Shameless Embraces. Oh, yeah. Crossbreed. Why are they all about animals? Forbidden <laughs> Pleasure. Only Pleasure. Megan's Mark. Wicked Pleasure. <laughs> Kiss of Heat. Kiss of Heat. Mm. Uh, of course, they've all got like buff guys on the front of them. Of course. Naughty Boy. <laughs> Naughty Boy. Uh, Jacob's Faith. I mean, how many how many chapters could something like Naughty Boy possibly have? She's bloody written a lot. Yeah, of she's written so many books. She's very prolific. So, Midnight Sins, despite the fact that she's been on New York Times bestseller list, she seems to have a lot of fans. Uh, is not very good. It seems like largely it's because the plot is almost nonsensical, like hard to follow, oh, and there are it. so many errors, both plot and spelling and grammar that it makes it almost impossible to read. But then when I looked on Goodreads, still had a lot of good reviews. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, it's got 3.8 out of 5 on Goodreads. Yeah. <laughs> so it definitely seems like I did read one romance writing website. They seem to cover a lot of different books and be like very big supporters of the genre. And they were like, we, Laura Lee has written so many books and people love her so much that now we just absorb any tripe she puts out right. and go, it's great. So we don't think this one was one of her best works. So the blurb of the book says... His name was Rafer Callahan. He was Rafer. Ki- Rafer. R A F E R. Rafa. Rafa. Well, no, Rafa Nadal is what? Raphael. Uh, is oh, his yeah, full name. that's true. You're right. Well, this is Rafer. You, you know that, though. I love sports. R A F E R. Rafer? Rafa? Rafa. Let's call him Rafer. He was a kid from the wrong side of the tracks, Jono. He never fought through life. Sorry, he, he fought through life the only way he knew how with his fists. Sounds like me. Yeah. Textbook, Jono. Um, but Rafer never meant to bring any harm to Cambria Flanagan, the girl, no, the lover, whose sister he'd been unable to save. Cammy, so I'm assuming that's short for Cambria, Cammy lost her sister in the brutal murders that rocked her hometown so many years ago. Some still believe that Rafe, along with his friends Logan and Crow, were involved. But how could Rafe, who haunted her girlish dreams and then her adult fantasies, be a killer? That's the question that keeps her up at night. Now, a prosperous ranch owner, Rafe is trying to build a new legacy for himself. It's finally time to settle the score with Cambria and make her his. But old wounds open up with a series of new murders. Dot, dot, dot. And each of the victims has a connection to Rafe, Logan and Crow. With suspicion, fear and loyalty tearing her apart, Cammie is once again at the risk of losing her heart or her life. (laughs) To me, I would read I mean, this book. <laughs> <laughs> She's got me. 
Laura Hook. Lee has done it again. Hook, line, and sinker. Absolutely. I mean, we've got romance. We've got old wounds. We've got murder. We've got mystery. We've He's, got he works on a ranch. Rant exactly. Uh, what more could you want? <clears throat> well, the reviews seem to be quite consistent, except for the people who are like, I actually loved it, which is that. Miss Lee confuses ages, details, names, and the relationships of characters so often and so badly <laughs> that the story becomes incomprehensible. I even got confused trying to piece together the plot description on the Amazon page. One reviewer found 78 different errors, which means that you'll run into something that doesn't make sense every five pages. <laughs> which I love. That is... Sounds like me writing a book. Literally me. Um... I'm going to try and read you... I'll read you... Why do authors have to just give characters, like, shit names? Like... I... It's... I have written a few short stories and it is really, really hard. <laughs> it is really hard to name characters. Because you don't want to name it after anyone you know and then every other name ends up sounding really weird and not real. Like Rafe? Rafe. Crow? Crow. What did you say the chick's name was? Cambria. Cambria. Apologies if anybody out there is named Cambria. It's been um, a bit of a weird one. This is... Oh, okay. So I'm reading now on Goodreads that this is the first in a, a three-part series. So there's uh, three books about Rafe and Cambria and We should Crow. have done this as a three-episode arc. Oh, uh, so yeah, we should because it seems that um, Rafe and Crow and who's the other one? Uh, Logan are cousins. Uh. Yeah. They're... they're Hated by everyone for no reason that anyone can figure out. Then it seems like maybe they're hated because they were suspected of murder. There's so I, I don't know what she thinks here. But this person says, this book is a train wreck, an absolute and complete train wreck. I don't know that I've ever read a book before so full of confusing, nonsensical backstory. This sounds like someone talking about me telling a story. <laughs> uh, endless repetition of pointless info. Again, same. And so full of errors ranging from standard typos to grammar problems to an endless parade of mismatching details. The problems with this book, a book published by a best-selling author by a best uh, by a well-known publishing house, is completely shocking. So maybe they've like she's got to fill her quota of books or something, and they they just had to rush to get one out. Maybe, maybe they've got her on like, but it's it seems like she's published fifty books. I've never heard of like we're going to put you on a fifty book deal. You've got to put out a book every three months. I mean, I don't know how publishing houses work, but that the seems ambitious. <laughs> We need romance during this coronavirus time. I mean... Even if it's incoherent. Even if it's incoherent. Everyone's losing their mind. (laughs) Appallingly incoherent. (laughs) Appallingly incoherent. I do like that, like, even that review starts off with, first off, let me just say that I am in no way trying to trash author Laura Lee, personally or professionally. I have the utmost respect for anyone who writes and publishes. So, again, congrats to anyone who's ever written a book. But it's shit. (laughs) But this book is so bad. (laughs) So... Um, let me read you a page. I always love it when reviews start like start off like that, like a back backhanded compliment. Here we go. Well, it's not even a backhanded compliment. You're a great person, but you're doing shit things. Yeah, a backhanded compliment is like you look so much better than the last time I saw you. <laughs> yeah. But saying now, I just want to start by saying that she's really, really great is like not backhanded. It's just literally, oh, oh, what's about to come? Yeah. It's like saying no offense, but which. Can I just say, I remember saying no offence, but so often as a teenager. I don't think it's really changed. <laughs> How often do I say? Now I just say offensive things oh, without true. having to preface it with any kind of padding. No, but now, as a teenager, you... you would literally be like, no offence, Sasha, but like you look awful today. <laughs> now you just put it on Twitter and then delete the tweet. Now, 
<laughs> no offense, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so this you is... You look beautiful today, Sasha, by the way. You do. You look beautiful today. You don't look a day over 30. I'm hungover. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're hungover, Sasha, this is going to make you feel much better. She's going to romanticize you. I'm not sure where in the book. This is page six and seven, so I, I haven't really... Oh, actually, no, I should say, sorry. This is not from Midnight Sins. I could not find an excerpt <gasps> from Midnight Sins. This is from Secret Sins. What's the, what's which the I believe is the sequel to Midnight Sins. I, I think I read that there's a Deadly Sins as well. Yeah, so I think it's Midnight Sins, Secret Sins, and Deadly Sins. Of course. Of course. Um, so this is Secret Sins. So this is meant to be one of the standard ones. Like this is meant to be her regular standard of work. So we can imagine how bad. Oh, so we're saying this book was filled with errors, but the two sequels weren't? Uh, apparently are okay. Okay. So no one really knows it's what like someone realised. Yes. Once it was published um, and printed 10,000 times. This this is um, this is Secret Sins. And this seems to be between uh, an exchange between two characters called Anna and Archer. Oh, my so God. Normal have, names. We haven't heard of Anna and Archer in Midnight Sins. So don't know how they fit into the story. but Cousins. Uh, well, well, I hope they're not cousins, if you know oh. what I mean. Uh, following Anna's example, he lifted his napkin, wiped his lips, then folded it and laid it next to his place, plate with icy precision. Not sure how you fold and place a napkin with icy precision, but... Is it cold? Maybe, maybe they are in Alaska or something. Uh, thank you and your family for dinner, John, but it's time I go. Who's John? I don't know. I haven't explained this well, but... You're just going to have to picture John in your head. John grimaced. So there you go. Picture him. He's grimacing. John grimaced. Thanks for coming by, Archer. It's always good to see you. As though he hadn't just witnessed Anna having her heart torn out and one of his best friends trashed by the Corbin's determined refusal to allow Anna to know a cousin she obviously ached to know. So I did read the page before this and it seems like John is Anna's granddad and Anna's like, I want to go meet my cousins who I believe are Rafe and Crow and he is like, no, you don't get to know those people. Oh. And Archer is her love interest who's come for dinner and he's like, I'm not going to, like, I've got to say, you know, John, it's nice to see you too, but it's not. I just saw my love interest have her heart ripped out. So that's, I think, where we are. Doing a lot of editorialising when I meant to just read Laura Lee's words. Uh, it, may not make, it might not make sense, but Anna didn't have to make sense to him when it was clear her family was making demands that were so blatantly unfair. Shaking his head as he swept his gaze between the three of them, Archer left the table and strode from the room. Things had always been damned strange in that Corbin household, but now they were approaching Twilight Zone levels. Stepping onto the wide wraparound porch and closing the door behind him, he let a smile touch his lips at the sight of the curves leaning indolently against his SVU. SUV. <laughs> Well-worn jeans and a light grey stretchy top that clung to her breasts, waist and hips to end at the band of those low-slung jeans. His gaze lifted to her breasts again. A perfect handful, he thought, his palms suddenly tingling at the thought of those firm, rounded curves fitting in his palms. He gave himself a mental shake. Had he lost his mind? Long black hair, waves upon waves of it, tumbled from her head, over her shoulders and one of her breasts, and down her back, almost to her curvy, tempting hips. With her arms folded beneath those breasts, so much breast talk, her head tilted to the side and those lush, enticing curls flowing around her. 
She was the image of a tempting, sensual angel. One he was dying to touch. New line. God have mercy on his self-control. Good line. She was a woman now. <laughs> so. Ooh, I'm hot and that, sweaty after whoop, that. Whoop. Oh, boy. That is uh, her. That's her standard. Like, that's the Laura Lee standard. Yeah, okay. And Midnight Sins. See why she's made a boatload of money. Can see why she's on the New York Times bestseller list. Um, but, yeah, look, apparently Midnight Sins was not quite up to scratch. Um, but yeah, look, that's a bit of a glimpse into the life of Laura Lee. And I thought maybe to finish, um, the, the, we'll act out a scene from (laughs) Midnight Scenes. Well, no, I thought maybe we would reflect on what could have been. It could have been worse for Laura Lee. It could have been worse for any of these writers because, uh, much like the Razzies, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the awards for the worst film, There is um, literaryreview.co.uk each year hold the Bad Sex in Fiction Awards where they single out books that have done uh, sex scene writing so badly and they award them this title, which I cannot think of anything more embarrassing than trying to write a sex scene and everybody in the literary community in the UK going, lol, you did such a bad job, we're going to single you out. I can't even picture how that scene would act out if it was... I just, that's so embarrassing. (laughs) I feel so bad for these people. Um, But I thought because we just read the award-winning prose Mm. of Laura Lee, but this was meant to be a bad books list, we could read the winner from this year. So this year was the the, the 27th year of the Bad Sex and Fiction Award. Uh, No, sorry, this year would have been the 28th year because this is from 2019. So maybe they haven't done it this year yet. COVID. Um, COVID, again, taking everything from us, including the Bad Sex in, sex in Fiction it's Award. It's not stopping dinner. Laura Lee from writing <laughs> shit books. <laughs> Laura Lee is probably, she's probably written four books in Quar. She's just been like quarantine pumping out book after book after book. I can't really have a go at her. She's probably rolling in cash. Um, I hope she is. Good for her. You know, what? how many books have I written? Zero. Not a one. Um, this is from The Office of Gardens and Ponds, which is a book... That I did. I didn't look into either of these books because I didn't want to know too much about them, uh, because I just I don't want to feel too bad. Is that the publisher? No, that's the name of the book. Ah, oh, okay, that's a long uh, name. Uh, the Office of Gardens and Ponds. <laughs> uh, Katsuro moaned as a bulge formed beneath the material of his kimono, a bulge that Miyuki seized, kneaded, massaged, squashed, and crushed. <laughs> With the fondling, Katsuro's penis and testicles became one single mound what? that rolled around beneath the grip of her hand. Miyuki felt as though she was manipulating a small monkey that was curling up its paws. How did this get published? <laughs> I was like, we need to work on that. I we need to. I understand this is on the internet, but <laughs> it's on really paper. Bad. <laughs> Come on. I mean, I think Morrissey, the singer from The Smiths, wrote a book, and I believe that was shortlisted for this award because oh. he did a really bad job of it too. Would he have done it intentionally? No, I think Morrissey. The older he gets, the more it's obvious that he's a clueless asshole. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, do you reckon people do it on purpose though? I don't know. I would be interested to know if it's like, you know, Sharknado kind of thing. Like they're doing it, they're, they're being bad on purpose. Because if it's like self, self-published, self I guess you're not really spending that much money to do it. Yeah. Like it's not like you have to sell 10,000 copies of the book. No. I mean, I would be interested to know, yeah, what editors think about this. Mm. And I think if you're an editor, you'd be embarrassed too because you'd be like, oh, I didn't pick that up. I didn't realise that was that bad. <laughs> I missed that entire half of the book. <laughs> um, well... 
the other shortlisted books in 2019 included The River Capture, uh, in which uh, <laughs> she said he, he clung to her, crying, and then made love to her and went far inside her and she begged him to go deeper and no longer afraid of injuring her, he went deep in mind and body among crowded organ cavities past the contours of her lungs and liver and shimmering past her shimmying past her heart he felt her perfection <laughs> he had a gigantic boner that went all the way through her <laughs> stuck my dong in her so far i felt her heart lungs. beating <laughs> how romantic <laughs> all the way up in your guts up through your lungs and then another one City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert I'll finish with this I'll I'll give us all a break from this this. (laughs) 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 sassy Sasha sassy Sasha Um, this is from City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert then I screamed as though I were being run over by a train and that long arm of his was reaching up again to palm my mouth and I bit into his hand the way a wounded soldier bites on a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! We've all been there, am I right, ladies? Woo! So, um, yeah, look, that, oh, that's that. No. Um... Other notable mentions on the list, uh, I should just, not the bad sex and fiction awards, but just other notable bad, bad books. books. So things that I came across a lot in my research were People uh, Hated Valley of the Dolls, which is quite a famous book. Uh, Naked Came the Stranger, uh, which I, did, I left off a list because it was a, an effort by 24 journalists um, to like write a book that was deliberately bad. Like uh, it was like a kind of an, ex- yeah, I'm like, that's not really, a, that doesn't count. Um, Worlds of Power, Metal Gear, which was a novelization of, um, Metal Gear Solid. Yeah. Well, Metal Gear is a 1987 game, which I assume is prequel to Metal Gear Solid. Um, people called this, um, this, the review was, this must've been a secret plot by Nintendo to ins- destroy any interest in reading which may have lurked within its loyal players. <laughs> this book is so bad it might cause your brain to forget how to read in self-defense, <laughs> which is awesome. Whew, spicy. Um, a lot of the lists included the Left Behind series, which is a, a book uh, by Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins, which, uh, again, mum, if you're still listening, huge apologies. I know my mum read these books. Um, it's post-apocalyptic evangelical Christian book, so it's about the end of, like, the rapture. Yeah. Um, widely considered extremely extremely bad books um again sorry carolyn varco um again moon people was on every list um another sci-fi book called uh die alpenter de stefan rudel which um i know i'm saying that wrong it's a german book um list of the lost which was morrissey's book that came out in 2015 uh considered uh to be uh very bad uh uh, the new statesman um (laughs) Uh, responded to critics who said that the book may have been improved if it had been a better editor at the helm. Um, but the New Statesman said, asking a decent editor to save this book would have been like asking a doctor to help a corpse that had fallen from the top of the Empire State Building. <laughs> so, again, woo. Um, and then Sean Penn has written two books. Oh. Uh, Bob Bob Honey, Who Just Do Stuff, which is political satire, apparently. Um Penn writes like he's looked up every single word in his thesaurus except dictionary. Apparently it's very racist and very misogynistic. Um, 
The Guardian called it repellent and stupid on so many levels. Um, but some people defended it and he did get uh, a sequel, which was uh, Bob Honey Sings Jimmy Crack Corn, which uh, I'm not sure when that came out, but maybe – oh, yeah, t- 2019. But, yeah, not looking forward to reading any of these. Don't think I will read them, even for research purposes. No Scientology books. No, no Scientology books. I was going to cover L. Ron Hubbard's work, but then I figured maybe we could do a whole episode on those. Those folks. <laughs> those, those. well, not even those folks because I think that's probably a... Uh, they can hear us anyway. They can hear us. They've, they heard it. They're, they're, they're watching. They're watching. There's cameras in the room. I think that Scientology has been covered widely by people who could probably do it a lot more justice than we could, um, but I would love to do a book club episode on um, any of Elrond's books. Elrond. Elrond. So, yeah, wow. that is that is my comprehensive You took me on an list. adventure there. I, well, we went to places. We went to the moon. You read me more books than I've probably read in a long time. <laughs> there you go. There's your book list for the year. You've, you've had a synopsis of a bunch of books. You don't need to read anything mm. else. But, yeah, we've been to the moon. We've been to Gregoria. Uh, uh, Aragon? Aragon. No, that was the name of the jewel. Don't know where he was. Uh, where else have you taken us? Went to Laura Lee's ran- the ranches the of, ranch. of, I don't know, Kentucky, North Carolina, probably something like that. Yeah. Um, and we've been up a kimono. We've been inside a woman's vital organs. <laughs> we've been everywhere. And that's, that's the power of a good book. The power of literature. It can take you places. <laughs> Oh, thanks, Beck. That was pretty fun. You're very welcome. I'm overwhelmed. I am overwhelmed. I'm very hot and bothered. I need to go read another romance novel when I get home. <laughs> um, seems as good a place as any to uh, to leave it. So once again, you can always find us online on the interwebs at uh, at What the Heck Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. And you can email us at whattheheckpod at gmail.com. So far, we've just got the one email from the guy coming for Sasha's job. Um, We're still in talks about whether we get him on yeah, board. Yeah, like... If he can start the Patreon, maybe he'll get on board. Yeah. Uh, if you're listening, what was his name? Hugh? Dion. Dion? Simon? Uh, Simon? deleted the email. Oh, she's deleted the email. Well, please, whoever you are, reach out to us again. Definitely interested in talking to you about um, how you can get us some revenue um, on Patreon, which we haven't yet started. Um, yeah, I think that's everything. Mm. All right, until next time, heckheads, as we always say here at What The Heck. Jono, what do we always say? Make sure you put deodorant on before you leave home in the morning. Uh, Yeah, that's what we always say. Bye. Bye.